Weekly Trek is a Tricorder Transmissions Podcast Network weekly show covering the news and current events in the Star Trek universe with rotating hosts from the Tricorder Transmissions Network. Each week, our hosts hand-select Trek news from around the internet and present them to you with our analysis. Think of it like the 6 o'clock news, but for Star Trek. I am John, the host of Trek Profiles here on Tricorder, and with me is the amazing Shashan Kavaru from... Polytrex. Hey, Shashank, how you doing? Namaste, Homo sapiens. I am great. I'm excited. We have we did a good news week. We had a lot of good Star Trek news. So I'm excited to get into it and talk, start talking about it. On today's show, we will talk about the discovery of planet Vulcan. Michael Dawn and Marina Sirtis' controversial thoughts on Star Trek Discovery. The expanded vinyl soundtrack release for Star Trek Nemesis. Does Elon Musk want to turn us all into the Borg? CBS All Access goes above and beyond for enjoying Star Trek Discovery. And finally, we will be talking about the incredible short tracks release that we just got with the trailer and the one-line, two-line synopses. And before we get out of here, I will do my best to convince John to buy Terra Incognita, the follow-up to Through the Mirror coming out from IDW Publishing. I don't think you're going to have a hard time convincing me, <laughs> Shashank, but, but we'll see how it goes. All right, then let's uh, dive right in. The first bit of news, we have a real-life planet Vulcan discovered. Pretty interesting. We have an article on space.com. And so we have this star called 40 Eridani A, which I do believe is actually a similar name to what uh, the star that planet Vulcan revolves mm-hmm. around in the series is called. So that's kind of nice. And they discovered that there's an actual planet around that star. However... It is not exactly like planet Vulcan. It is certainly a lot bigger. Its year is only 42 days long, so it's revolving around its star very, very quickly. And it doesn't appear to be in that habitable zone where a liquid water could be. It appears to be quite closer to the star than that, so it would be a very hot, hot place. What do you think, Shashank? So one thing I found interesting is that this planet is part of the Dharma Planet Survey Discovery, which is going around trying to discover essentially small planets that are revolving around brighter stars because that's kind of the way Earth is designed and in our ever-elusive hunt for new life and possible new homes for humanity, I'm glad that we have a first discovery. One of my favorite things about this, first off, is that it's Vulcan. It's only logical that it'd be called Vulcan. It made complete sense to me. Uh, I don't know if I was surprised as much as I was elated, but it also got so much uh, mainstream coverage, which is always good for Star Trek. I, I saw a piece of piece on it on CNN. I got to see some of the NASA news that they were talking about. And what I'm most excited about now is there is an actual paper that it's part of, and I believe it is going to be posted in the monthly notices of the Royal Astronomical Society next month. So I'm pretty excited to read that and find out more about this planet. But yeah, we have Vulcan. How how great is our life? I think it goes to show the lasting effect of Star Trek in pop culture and in the wider world in that it has really touched people so that now you have people who are in science, people who are doing real scientific things in the world, and they're sort of bringing a little bit of Star Trek into that. And I think it's just fantastic. So it was a really nice story to see, Shashank. I I thought it was really fantastic. There is something very cyclical about people being inspired by Star Trek and then going into real world science. And then while exploring real world science, finding things from Star Trek. Absolutely. 
So let's move on to our next story. Uh, This, we have Michael Dorn talking about the new Klingons. So Michael Dorn talked about the fact that, you know, he looked at the wonderful Mary Chifo in her makeup and he said, you know, there's nothing of her in that body, in that, in that prosthetic, but her eyeballs. Maybe her lips even, I don't know. But that's like the only part of her that's actually exposed to the outside. And he was talking about the challenges of trying to act under such prosthetics. Because even with the heavy makeup that Worf had, it was still mostly stuff from his eyes up. You know, he had a little bit of stuff on his nose, but, you know, he had a lot of his own face that was available to him as an actor. And it's got to be really hard to act under all those prosthetics. So he talked a little bit about that. What was your reaction, Shashank? Well, first up, the fact that this comes from a convention is no surprise. I've noticed that a lot of these quote-unquote controversial thoughts or people really telling us what what they feel seems to be coming from conventions. Everybody remembers the infamous uh, or famous, I don't know, the 30th anniversary panel at STLV where all kinds of controversial opinions were shared. So the best way to get things out of these uh, awesome people is to give them a stage at a convention and let them have it. Uh, What I did feel from his thoughts is He's right in that there isn't a whole lot of Mary Chifo in there, but that is all acting. You know, I mean, at at its essence, to me, acting is people not being themselves. So the fact that physically she's not there, that's a perspective. But to me, my perspective is physically that essentially is Mary Chifo because she has disappeared so completely into the role physically and mentally that it's a good thing that we don't see a whole lot of her. And we saw Klingons from, if you look at the trajectory of the Klingons that we started off off with, it started with just makeup and a fancy mustache to the half makeup that Worf had on his face to now it going fully, completely immersed in makeup. And like he's saying, people not being even seen in there. And I understand Michael Dorn's position, and of course, nobody would want to envy that kind of makeup job, but that's what makes those Klingons exceptional to me. And there is a huge plot twist, spoilers about Star Trek Discovery, about people being in that makeup. And I think the whole Ash Tyler Vogue thing lended itself to it. You never knew that because they were disappearing in those makeup and you were able to enjoy the show more. What do you think? Well, I think that that's the task that's in front of the the technical professionals who are not only designing the makeup for these different characters, but also the people who are actually doing the the real yeoman's work of putting that stuff on the actor. Is that you know, no matter what kind of design you come up with for uh, an alien, when you actually create the prosthetics and put it on that that human actor, you you have to allow some way for that actor to 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 move the prosthetic to have some ability to do something to act. Otherwise, you end up with a stone-faced character, right? And and who wants that? You know, and this goes back even to TNG, right? I mean, LeVar Burton talked about the fact that when he put that visor on, he lost his eyes, which was the number one thing that an actor uses to emote. And so he had to use different parts of his body and, and use different kind of mannerisms and, and use different kinds of acting skills to actually portray different kinds of emotions, which was a big challenge for him. But he still had a lot more assets at his disposal than I think uh, a lot of these actors do. They're in the full body prosthetics with all the armor and the kit and, and, and the stuff that's all over their face because all they're essentially left with is their eyes and, you know, a little bit around their mouth and, you know, maybe a, a nostril flare, you know. So with these very limited tools, they have to bring it. And I, I think that they've done it. You know, whether you're a fan of Discovery or not, I, I think that the acting 
on behalf of the characters playing the Klingons and, and uh, Doug Jones as Saru has been really good. And I think that they did hit a really good balance of being able to put together characters which look very alien, but yet still giving the actor some space to actually emote and and generate some pathos in their physicality. So I, I thought it was a big success um, on how they did that. Absolutely. I hope they don't think that it is in any way a thankless job because I appreciate it. And every time I watch every episode, all I can think of is that is incredible work. Emoting through those layers of makeup is pretty amazing to me. So I see it and I understand why some someone like Michael Dorn would feel that way as someone who has embodied Klingons for such a long time. But the controversy didn't end there at the convention because Marina Sirtis, after Michael Dorn finished talking, essentially weighed in saying, well, I haven't watched it and I'm quoting her now. I'm going to explain why I don't watch Discovery before they all hate me. We were on the best Star Trek show. If CBS thinks I'm going to pay to watch Star Trek, they are demented. And then she went on to talk a little bit more about what she thinks about all the shows after TNG. I actually think that Star Trek got it right in our show and in the original show because those shows were about something. They weren't just entertainment. They were a little morality place. And that is what Star Trek lost after we were done. And it ought to go back to that. I'll wane on these comments from her, but what did you think of her, her comments, John? Well, Marina is never one to shy away from controversy, and she's certainly courting it here. And I think that she's right in this. Because TV has to be made in a certain way in 2017, 2018, 2019, the very idea of the anthology show from the 60s or even TNG couldn't be made today. Because the anthology format that we had allowed them to do these morality plays and allowed them to have these sort of very theatrical sort of shows that stood on their own. And you could do like a measure of a man type episode. You could do The Offspring. You could do Chain of Command. You could do these sort of little standalone episodes, whereas now everything has to serve a series-long arc. And in a way, it doesn't allow for the spaciousness that when you were producing 25, 26 episodes a year, they were very much uh, anthology. It enabled them to do a different kind of storytelling than what's allowed today. And that's not a critique of Discovery, I would say. It's a critique of TV in the modern era. What do you think? I can understand that. but And I love Marina Sirtis. I think Troy is one of the greatest, most underused characters in all of the Star Trek pantheon. But I do take issue with her comments in the sense that when when she starts off, she tells us that she hasn't seen the show. And then she's making a judgment call about what the shows are about and what they're lacking. It's It seems a little disturbing to me that she hasn't seen the shows after, or maybe she hasn't just seen Discovery, and she's making a comment about what they have and don't have. And also... When she says things like those shows used to be about something and they weren't just entertainment and they were little morality plays. Well, Deep Space Nine had The Visitor. It had Far Beyond the Stars, which are more than morality plays. They stand right up there with the best of Star Trek TOS and TNG. So I I would take issue with that. And if this was an argument I was having with her, I would make these points. But I do feel like after everything Marina Sirtis has been through, she's entitled to have that opinion and I respect her for it. But, but I strongly disagree with the way she's approaching the whole thing, that they, they 
these were the implication that everything else that has followed is just entertainment is a little is a little difficult for me to fathom but like i said i understand it yeah you know i i don't have any insight into what went on in the in the offices there at, at cbs with the executives but i am going to posit and i'm pretty comfortable in this that the one of the main things that was on their mind as they were giving the orders to the people who were putting together the show, you know, hey, we're, we're going to do this thing called Star Trek Discovery, and we're going to hire people, we're going to green light the show. And, you know, I'm talking way before there was, you know, anybody in Toronto and before there was a writer's room and all that, right? I'm talking like when they were still kicking this around at the executive levels before they even approved a budget or anything, that I would bet that Game of Thrones and Breaking Bad and The Wire were on their minds. And... When you look at shows, especially like Game of Thrones, which, you know, for marquee television as we record this is probably at the top, whether you like it or not, it's, you know, certainly something that all the other networks are thinking about. You know, how do we get our own Game of Thrones, right? That's that's not a show that lends itself to one-off episodes <laughs> at all. And I think that that's really emblematic of what I think they're after in Discovery in, in a lot of ways too, is that they want something at that marquee level. And so I'm not saying that it's a clone or a copy in any way, but but the feeling of this idea that you get this long uh, series arc that has a lot of in-depth characters and a lot of twists and turns and some really deep like 4D storytelling, uh, I think that that's what's on their mind. And, and that does take away from the spaciousness to experiment and do something goofy every once in a while. I think it's just more people from the old shows having to get used to this new series arc than it is like bitter hatred for the show. So I do respect it. But enough with the controversy. I'm sure these guys have lives and their whatever whatever their opinions are, we have the future coming in and we have a whole lot of it to enjoy. But another blast from the past happened over this week and we are reporting this from Trekcore.com. An expanded Star Trek Nemesis soundtrack is heading to vinyl. The Jerry Goldsmith score is now going to be back on the market as the expanded Star Trek Nemesis score. And it is going to be a special vinyl release from various Sarah Band. I'm sure I messed that name up. And not just on vinyl, but colored in a Thaleron green. Ah, oh, that is... So the actual LPs will be in that Thaleron sort of minty electric green color that we saw. Uh, from the Thaleron radiation, which to me just looks outstanding. I mean, if I had a if I had a record player, I would actually be tempted to get this. But they are going to be in a limited set, so there's only 750 slated for production. So if you want one, you better get right on it. That's all I'll say about that. My one of my favorite ships on all of Star Trek is the Romulan Bird of Prey, and anything that comes out in that Romulan color green. It's just it's hypnotic. I'm looking at this picture, and I almost had to collect myself back because. I, for a second, was unaware that I'm recording and I'm just looking at that green. I just love when franchises go so above and beyond and they delve so deeply into the deep cuts, like the Thaleron radiation, like how much of a deep cut is that? But then they're doing it. This two-sided LP is going to have, I believe, 32 tracks from the movie and it's the Jerry Goldsmith score. Have you enjoyed the score at all? Is this something you listen to when you're working or... I'm not much of a soundtrack guy. I, I appreciate the soundtracks and I enjoy them in the context of the movies or the show, but I'm just I'm just not much of a guy for listening to soundtracks because in all honesty, when when I have time to listen to something, I'm listening to podcasts. Uh, so <laughs> as a, so that that's where a lot of my uh, 
time that I have to listen to things goes into is is podcast listening. So I, I actually have a few soundtracks, but not that many. And by the way, one thing that's very strange, I just happened to note the Star Trek The Motion Picture soundtrack is not available for digital purchase online. You, you, the only way to get it is to actually, you can buy the CD um, and, and that's it, but you can't actually buy it digitally anywhere. Very disappointing that. I have noticed that happens with soundtracks. I am a bit of a soundtrack nerd and off topic, there is the Battlestar Galactica soundtrack, which was one of the greatest soundtracks I've heard. That The original or the reimagined? Uh, the reimagined. Uh, the uh-huh. Battlestar Galactica soundtracks by Bear McCreary that came out with the all along the Watchtower covers and stuff. You can't buy those online anywhere either. They're all either available on CD, which they are not sold anymore. So you have to find a seller online to sell them or you have to find them to find a way to get them somewhere else digitally. But anyway, coming back to music and soundtracks, I'm pretty excited for this one. I don't know if I'll get it, but I'm glad I have the image because it looks beautiful. Moving on to things that we all enjoy, Elon Musk made some comments. What do you have to tell us about that, John? So Elon Musk was on the Joe Rogan Experience, which is, uh, for those of you that are not familiar, Joe Rogan, who is an MMA announcer and a, and a comic. He does probably one of the biggest podcasts in all of podcasting based on the number of downloads and the number of listeners that he has. And he does these very long form, like three hour unedited interviews with people. So they are very wide ranging, very interesting sort of podcasts if you if you like the the sort of guests that he has on and i realize he's not everybody's cup of tea but elon musk made one of these podcasts with him and let's just say that it was most unlike any sort of ceo interview i think i've ever heard <laughs> and that's that's being very gentle so but on that podcast he announced this neural link uh where he's going to connect brain uh, people's brains to computers if if they want to do that along with many other announcements and many other strange things that happened on that on that podcast. So I would encourage listeners to go check it out if you're interested. But the only thing I'll say about this is that Elon Musk has made many announcements about many things, some of which have happened, some of which have not happened. So take from that what you will. Uh, what is your opinion, Shashank? The whole thing gives me a little pause because you're right. He has said a lot of things that he was going to bring out and change the world with. And some of those have not come to fruition, much to sometimes relief and sometimes sadness from me and from just the nerd community in general. But here are a couple of things he said. You're already a cyborg. Most people don't realize you're already a cyborg. It's just that the data rate, it's slow, very slow. We need to make that tiny straw of data like a giant river, a huge high bandwidth interface. And then he went on to talk about it. And he also said, this Neuralink will enable anyone who wants to have superhuman cognition, anyone who wants it. That's kind of terrifying. Not to make another Battlestar Galactica reference, but that's what the Cylons were about. And uh, coming back to Star Trek, it's kind of what the Borg was trying to do. They were trying to assimilate all of us into a giant network. So whether this comes to fruition or not, knowing that one of the biggest companies in the world is working on something like this, it's it's a little it's a little disturbing, a little terrifying, but I I would be lying if I said I wasn't curious to see what this has to bring and maybe that's how the Borg will take me, is it'll take advantage of my curiosity. Sounds good to me. I, for one, welcome our robot overlords. <laughs> well, uh, then you'll certainly appreciate, while all those robot overlords are taking over us, the ability to watch Star Trek Discovery offline. 
Yes. A major update that came out about a week ago from, and we are reporting this from TechCrunch, is that the streaming service CBS All Access is enabling support for offline viewing. For our listeners who did not know, apps like Netflix and Prime Video already do that. And the latest to join that is CBS All Access. Are you excited to watch all kinds of discovery offline, John? Oh, I think it's great if you're going on a plane trip or something like that. You know, um, you know, I was having a discussion about this on the podcast because we were talking about how people watch Star Trek. And as we sit here, I have three different ways of just watching most of Star Trek minus Discovery. We're talking about TOS or TNG, right? I can watch it on Amazon Prime. I can watch it on Netflix and I can watch it on CBS All Access. And I will say that CBS All Access is at the bottom of my list. Now, if you're just going to put on an episode and just watch it straight through, to be honest, they're all the same, right? I mean, they're going to stream the episode, assuming that there's not some internet hiccup or something like that. But if it, it can deliver you the video channel, the video stream, you watch it and the experience doesn't matter, right? As long as it's a stable connection. But for things like Amazon Prime, where they have like the, the built-in IMDB and the built-in trivia, that's fantastic. And you can also skip through the intro if you want to skip through that, which I think is great. Netflix has that too. So I think CBS All Access is still playing a little bit of catch up as far as their technology goes. But I think it's a great thing. But the one thing that should be stressed, though, is that the downloading is only available for the premium tier. So if you're at the $6 a month level, you don't get the offline downloading. You have to pay for the commercial free level at 12 bucks a month uh, to get that. It's kind of not unlike me going to a Walmart where they sell screws. I want to buy a box of screws and I also want to get my milk and my bread and all kinds of stuff. So I'm at Walmart and I'm picking up my screws while there is a store that is exclusively dedicated to screws two blocks down and it only sells screws. I would just get my screws at Walmart. Why would I go down two blocks just to buy that pair of screws? It's kind of like that. CBS All Access, you're right at this point, is still kind of the underdog, not just for the reasons you mentioned, but also because of their very, very limited scope of shows that they have available. And also further reading of this article tells us that this is only available for those commercial free tier viewers. So that is also kind of losing whatever support, the maximum support you were going to get for something like this. Why would they just keep it for them and not keep it for these guys? I I, I guess because Offline viewing would mean you wouldn't get to watch all those online commercials, but I'm sure there's a workaround that, that they could figure out. But yeah, you're right. It's it's not that exciting, but the fact that we have that option and you can download it and watch it at any time within 30 days is pretty exciting. Yeah, I think it's okay. But you know, like I'll say, I, I think CBS All Access as an app is my is my third choice. Even if I want to watch something that's on CBS All Access, if I have it on another app, I'll watch it there. So, all right. Let's move on along, though, to our biggest story, I think, of the week, and it's that as we record this, Shashank, we are very close to the launch of Short Treks. How exciting is this? Why don't you tell us about it? Short Treks is going to be the four-part mini Short Trek episodes that we're going to get before the full-blown Discovery Seasons 2 starts uh, here pretty soon. The first one drops on October 4th, and essentially, these are going to be on the app. And they're going to be four short episodes. So the the time might be a little different between both of them, but I wouldn't assume that there would be any any bigger than, I would guess it would be probably be 15 to 20 minutes each. And there's a... 
I think you're and, right. And uh, we'll, we'll speculate a little bit more about what they're going to be. But on our short tracks, we'll be following Tilly in Runaway. We'll be following Kraft after in Calypso. Then we'll be following Saru on The Brightest Star. And finally, we get to see what hijinks Harry Mund is up to in The Escape Artist. So these are all little episodes that will be dropping in between October 4th and January 3rd. We have a trailer out. The trailer looks very exciting. And the one thing I would note before we get into the actual topic is I believe these are not going to be available for Netflix outside of the the outside US Netflix. So this will mainly be on the CBS All Access app. I don't know how it will be getting out to international viewers, but for now... I, I don't. I, I think that that's merely a matter of that it hasn't been negotiated yet. Um, I think it probably will be available, but it's just that the agreements are not yet in place because this is not covered by the existing agreements that CBS All Access has with Netflix for international distribution of their Discovery episodes. So I'm just guessing that it probably will be available via Netflix or some other method. It'll be legally available, but it's something that they have to set up. It's it's just it's not there yet. And I'm sure our determined viewers will find some way to see it. So I'm just excited that these will be coming out. Uh, but let's get into the actual speculation. I'm pretty excited to hear your thoughts. Let's start with Runaway. And this is the synopsis that we got from Runaway. On board the USS Discovery, Ensign Telly encounters an ex- unexpected visitor in need of help. However, this unlikely pair may have more in common than meets the eye. Who do you think this visitor is, John? Do you have any any theories? No idea. Just uh, looking forward to seeing a little bit more Tilly, you know? Uh, as we were talking about earlier in this recording, we were talking about how they, given the nature of television in 2018, they don't have the spaciousness to really explore some stories that they, you know, in the narrative arc of the show. And I think that, that Short Treks shows a lot of promise to, to, to enable them to do something like that, right? And give us something that's a little bit different, that doesn't have to carry the weight of a season-long arc. So I'm really excited to see what they are. Okay. Interesting points. All accepted. Now, I'll tell you what I want this to be. I really, really want that unexpected visitor to be Killy from the Mirror Universe. There is... I know it would be obvious. I know it would be heavy-handed, but I just want that Killy sitting away from Tilly and they just talking to each other. I want that to happen. Although I I do think this will be someone from Tilly's past, someone they someone that they're going to try to sneak into the ship, and someone who's not supposed to be there, and it's going to be. Tilly trying to help someone. I believe that's what the actual episode is going to be. <clears throat> but I really wanted to be. Tilly and Tilly sitting together and having that discussion. Moving on to the next one, which is Calypso, which will be dropping November 8th. After waking up in an unfamiliar sickbay, Kraft finds himself on board a deserted ship, and his only companion and hope for survival is an AI computer interface. Any theories on this, John? It vaguely reminds me of GLaDOS from Portal. Ah, nice. Uh, I was going more for like an Isaac Asimov short story. This this sounds very much like something out of his wheelhouse. So I don't know what that AI computer interface would be. It would be nice if it was Nomad, just to add that little connection there. Uh, But Oh, nice. Because we don't know Nomad stories yet, and we don't know where Nomad has been. All we see is uh, his 
I say his, like it's an actual human being. All we see is it. Stop your anthropomorphization. <laughs> All we see is it ending up with Captain Kirk and Spock above the Enterprise. But bringing bring back something from they have all that TOS mythos to play with. So I would like them to bring something back from it. But that'll be pretty exciting. Oh, that'd yeah. be great. The, the the one thing I'll add, there is no cake. <laughs> oh, noted. It's a little reference to the game Portal where GLaDOS is from, if yeah. uh, anyone yeah, yeah, got yeah. that. That's okay. Uh, I did. I, I, I enjoy that game. And the next one that I'll be getting is The Brightest Star. Before he was the first Kelpian to join Starfleet, Seru lived a simple life on his own planet of Kaminar with his father and sister. Young Seru, full of ingenuity and a level of curiosity, uncommon among his people, yearns to find out what lies beyond his village, leading him on an unexpected path. What do you think, John? This is the one I'm the most excited about. I have wanted to see Saru's homeworld since we first experienced him because especially after we got to see his amazing physicality in the episode where they were down with the Povins on the mm -hmm. planet, uh, I kept thinking if if he's the prey animal, who in the world are the predators uh, on that world? So I, I have just been wanting to see that and I hope we get to experience it in all of its terrifying glory. Yeah, uh, this one seems pretty clear cut to me. That's also what it sounds like. It seems like it is going to be the first time Saru realizes he's prey. And I believe I would like that to be the story. It seems like very much that is what it's going to be. It also sounds a little bit hobbity, the story itself, like going out beyond his village and leading him on an unexpected path. So they could surprise all of us and give us a cool adventure story with that prey predator part being just an element of it. But it does sound more or less like the actual plot point is going to be Siru is going to be scared about, oh my God, that thing is going to eat me. And the final short tracks that we have airing on January 3rd is The Escape Artist. Harry Mudd, back to his old tricks of stealing and double dealing, finds himself in a precarious position aboard a hostile ship just in time to try out his latest con. What do you think of this, John? Any theories? I am... I, I gave this episode description a lot of side eye when I read it, only because... One of the things that I firmly believe as a Star Trek fan is that Star Trek is about an optimistic view of the future, and we're going to sort out a lot of our own problems, and the future is going to be better than today. And going right back to the original series and what we see in Discovery, Harry Mudd is the antithesis of that. I mean, if you look back at Mudd's women, the guy is a full-on slave trader. He's disgusting. He's morally and ethically bankrupt. And while sometimes we can enjoy watching characters like that, He's very much not in the mold of the future that we want to see. And so I'm very skeptical and concerned about an episode that features him because I don't think there's anything in Harry Mudd that is worth worrying about or rooting for. So I'm worrying, I'm thinking about what, what could this narrative structure be around this character? So I'm a little skeptical about this one. How about you? Well, for this episode, I fully agree with you. I do want it to be a situation in which Harry Mudd, the con artist, gets con. I want him to see, I, I want to see him suffer further. If you've seen Discovery, you know things really don't go his way. I want that to that spirit to continue. I want him to even lose the support that he had with his uh, wife, fiance, whoever, and his in-law. And I want him to be at the end of his road trying to figure out how do I get back into this? 
And just to tie it in, when I was looking at all these shots, I thought, hey, each of these will have a really good way to tie into TOS or the bigger Star Trek mythos. And I wanted him to almost get conned in that same spirit by a Ferengi. So I, I know that's nice. that's wishful thinking. Like this a Ferengi in this, Nomad in Calypso, Brightest Star, Saru is being pursued by Gorn. You find out Gorn are the Predators. And then you you get that Tilly Kili connection. I was hoping for all of these things. So someone like a Ferengi who cons mud and makes him suffer further, that would be that would be a fun episode for me. I think it would be great if the con somehow involved like, you know, uh ten thousand lots of Marauder Bow action figures still in the boxes. <laughs> uh you're you're now speaking my language. This is going to be an entirely different show, John. <laughs> <laughs> so every now and then I like to dive deep, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's what I can do. It's, it's what I can do. It's what I can bring. So there you go. And all right. Uh, before we get out of here, speaking of bringing things, have, if you've listened to any of my interviews, segments on reading track, weekly track, occasionally, you'll see me nerd out about IDW publishing and the beautiful work they've been doing and the A game they've been bringing. Have you been enjoying any of the IDW publishing titles, John, the comic books? Well, I did listen to some interviews with some of the creative types uh, behind the Mirror Broken series, and I went and I bought those on Kindle app, and I did read all of them, and I am not a comic book guy. In fact, I think all the comic books I have read recently, and by recently, I mean within the last, you know, year, which uh, before that, the last comic book I think I read was I was probably 10 or 11 years old, have been recommended by you in one way or another, and... Um, what I found in The Mirror Broken was not just the story was good, but the art was very much unexpected. It didn't look like comic books. It looked like paintings. And it really was just beautiful to look at and beautiful to read and really quite good. So I enjoyed it a lot. So thank you for recommending it. So should I continue and uh, read Terra Incognita, Shashank? Yes. Uh, we actually have a review of Terra Incognita number three for you today, uh, courtesy of IDW Publishing. Uh, they have been continuing that series, and why wouldn't they? It's been immensely successful. After Mirror Broken, they came out with Through the Mirror, same writer, uh, the Tiptons. Uh, they continue the story from Through the Mirror into Terra Incognita, the ongoing miniseries. Uh, it's winding down here. I believe it is a six-issue miniseries with one issue coming out every month. We had number one and number two. This was number three's release. If you have been, I assume you've been following Through the Mirror, right? You've finished in Through the Mirror. Is that right? Yes, I, I read the whole series, which, by the way, we probably should say two sentences about it for, for people that aren't familiar. It's the story of the Mirror Enterprise in the TNG era, and or actually Mirror Picard and crew, I should say. And it follows what's going on there and what the story is uh, with them. So that's that's Mirror Broken. And it is a very, very true to what you might think mirror picard and crew would be like and that's all yeah that's that's a that's a great little summary it's the star trek 2009 version of the mirror universe it's how picard gets the ship that he ends up in on in the mirror universe that's what mirror broken is to me and then through the mirror is picard in that universe the mirror universe going you know what what i have is not enough i need to get this other ship that's in another universe it's called the uss enterprise so he seeks that one out. And what happens there is through the mirror. And Terra Incognita 
just continues those chain of events. So whether you've read those two or not, uh, there'll be mild spoilers. So we'll do our best to keep that down here. But with the chain of events that follows, Barclay, the mirror Barclay, who, by the way, is a complete opposite of the Barclay we know, ends up on the USS Enterprise in Terra Incognita number one. And each of these, unlike the previous stories, this one is kind of an anthology because each of them is a character-specific issue with issue number one following Barclay as he jumps onto the USS Enterprise. And the Enterprise, the overarching plot is that the Enterprise is kind of having to negotiate a very high tension situation between the Cardassians and the Vulcans. So it's Picard trying to work those mechanics out while Barclay is in there doing his crazy mirror universe Barclay hijinks. And that's issue number one. Issue number two follows Troy as she ends up being one of the people responsible to get all the Vulcan and Cardassian negotiators onto onto a planet so they can negotiate the situation. And what happens there is is the tale of Terra Incognita number two. Terra Incognita number three follows Dr. Sailor from this this very heightened situation and what is going on in the medical room and what she has to do in order to help put this tension down. So it's another unconventional person, someone working in the medical bay, having to go in and help with the situation. Are you familiar with Dr. Sailor, John? Of course, Susie Plaxen, the Vulcan doctor, who I think was only in maybe an episode or two, actually physically, although I think she was referred to a couple of other times in TNG, but I don't think we actually saw her. So one really good thing that they're doing with this Terra Incognita series is each issue is one character story. And usually it's a very underutilized character. I do like that the first issue was about Barclay and you see Barclay taking charge, which is amazing. And then the second issue is about Troy and you get to see a completely different side of Troy. Troy's out there fighting and she's out there getting her hands dirty, which was pretty great to see. And in Terra Incognita number three, they finally give Dr. Saylor the credit she deserves and the backstory she deserves. In this one issue, throughout the course of these 20 plus pages, you actually get to see where Saylor comes from, why she's in the life that she's in, and what unconventional way she ends up helping the situation in. So without spoiling anything, like I said earlier, there is a very high tension situation between the Vulcans and Cardassians, and negotiators are needed. And thanks to the mind meld that is among the Vulcan culture, Sailor has to get some knowledge from one of the negotiators and pass it on. And her crisis as she goes through it, because in the Vulcan custom, you're not supposed to use knowledge that you've gained through a mind meld for any kind of purposes other than fulfilling the katra or the final ritual of when a Vulcan passes. And that's why she gets this knowledge and she has to take that on. But she grapples with that situation. And there is Captain Picard involved in this. There is everybody else on the crew involved in this. And then Barclay comes into play because he kind of has to build something for her to help get this knowledge. So just a really, really good story. A very nice backstory follows about Sailor in this issue. You see her parents you see her as a child and if you've seen those preview pages you know what happens to the father and just the tragic backstory intermingled with a very interesting star trek crisis about how do i 
do I make this choice or do I not make this choice? Which is a very good short story to tell. So in continuation with the great art that Angel has been doing, he was also the artist on the Star Trek Green Lantern crossover. And he was also the artist on Star Trek Discovery Succession. The art is beautiful as always. The variant covers are amazing. And some really cool things that we get to see in this issue are things like the Katra ritual. You get to see some more of that and what happens when a Vulcan passes. And then you see how even Vulcans have to logically, in spite of all their logic and knowing exactly what the most logical thing to do is, you get to see a very interesting take on that logic and how Captain Picard perceives it and what is done to help these negotiations further so they can go down from the brink of war, Vulcans and Cardassians. So all around great work by the Tiptons, a great art by Angel, and it's definitely a series to follow and I'm looking forward to all the other short stories that we'll get from highly underutilized characters. So have you seen the preview, John? Is this something you're going to pick up? And are there underutilized characters that you'd like to see in Dead Eye Incognita? So, well, the most underutilized character in all of Star Trek, in my opinion, of course, is Klingon Chef from Deep Space Nine. <laughs> uh, there is a, you, do, you do full justice to the Klingon Chef when you sing Klingon Opera. Anyone curious should go and find that on John's Twitter or his Facebook, his social medias. But I think it is a great idea to highlight these sort of, I don't want to say lesser characters, but these characters that were never really fully explored, I guess, uh, in the full TNG sort of show. And uh, I think that, that that can certainly be a great avenue to explore. So I'll probably check it out and uh, see where it goes. Yeah. Ending this review, of, if I was to scale it, I'd give it a really strong warp eight. Warp 10 being Mirror Broken and Warp 0 being some of those god-awful 60s, 70s comics that they did that nobody talks about anymore. Uh, oh, the gold key. <laughs> uh, and just really, really strong storytelling. Some space could have been saved. There are some panels that seem a little too long. The tiptits are well known for enjoying their dialogue writing. They try to fit in 40, 50 words in a bubble. So maybe a little bit of cutting down on that. So that's where a couple of my warps go down, but a strong warp eight, definitely worth your four bucks or however you're buying this trade single issue. And I look forward to the continuation of the series. Fantastic. Well, that's it for this week, John. Did you did you enjoy doing another round of weekly trek with me? I love doing weekly trek with you, Shashank. Anytime I get a chance to chat with you, it's always a good time. Uh, why don't you tell people uh, if they want to continue the conversation? Why don't you tell people where they can find yeah, you? Yeah, I love talking comics. I love talking Star Trek. Really, anything nerdy, I will get into it. I got John's portal reference. Come on. Uh, you can <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on at gutter underscore hero on Twitter. That's about the only social medias that I do, Twitter. Uh, you can also email me if you'd like. And I thank everyone who has emailed me so far. I enjoy our email conversations. Uh, get ready to write this down. S-H-A-S-H-A-N-K dot A-V-V-A-R-U at gmail.com. And you can listen to Barry DeFord and I, my illustrious co-host, discuss all kinds of politics and culture on Star Trek in Polytrex, which is another Tricorder show, and you can follow that on at Polytrex. John, where can people find you? 
Well, people can follow my show account at Trek Profiles, which is entirely devoted to Star Trek and basically other little nerdy sort of fandom things. Uh, and if you want to follow my personal account, that's at JKNLV, and that's sort of a wider range of things that I find amusing and or interesting. And of course, you can follow my show at Trek Profiles also on Facebook and on the web at trekprofiles.com. And you can follow all the things that are going on on the Tricorder Transmissions Network at our website, which is www.thetricordertransmissions.com. You can find all of our shows there. You can listen online. You can even choose, if you so desire, to become a patron of the network via Patreon. And support at any level gets you access to early uh, releases of episodes, uncut episodes, our Patreon hangouts, which as we record this, we just did another uh, Patreon hangout last night, and it was a super fun time, as they always are. So please check out the network and check out our other shows. You are guaranteed to find something that you like if you are a Star Trek fan. That's all the Trek news we have to share with you this week, but if you'd like to continue this conversation, you can visit our weekly Trek show on Twitter at Weekly Trek and online, of course, at thetricordertransmissions.com. We'll be back next week with more news from around the Trek universe, but until then, live long and prosper.